I think the one aspect of the fitness or wellness industry that gets overlooked all the time is optimal hydration. And so, you know, you could not eat for a week and you'd still be alive. But if you didn't drink, you'd be dead. Snackable content from brand builders. E-commerce and growth marketing leaders. Giving you actionable insights you can apply today. Bite-sized podcast. With Daniel James. So for anybody who's been listening to Bite Size for some time, creative being the variable is a statement largely agreed upon by myself and most of my guests, whether that's a brand founder or a marketer. And let's break down what effective marketing is. It's images, videos, copy, structured in a way to drive an action. To develop a creative that drives action, you have to understand creative performance and use that as a feedback loop into your creative strategy, your media buying, your creative optimization teams. At Fly Performance, we use Motion. So Motion is a creative reporting platform that visualizes creative performance and uses really easy to understand metrics that are mapped to the consumer funnel. So from thumb stop ratio to ROAS, making it so easy to understand not just performance, but where you need to optimize. Not only that, it's a huge time saver. We estimated that since using Motion across the agency, we've saved our teams two days a week from manual data pools, allowing them to test and analyze creative far more efficiently and get winning creatives and really help drive performance. Creative is the variable. Welcome back to Bite Sized. I'm super excited. I've got a good friend of mine. I've known him for a couple of years now, Charlie, founder and CEO of Humantra on the podcast. What's up, Charlie? Welcome to Bite Sized. Hey, bro. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. You were just showing me your, your French Bulldogs, actually, um, yeah, before this. Yeah, super fortunate. It's late here in Dubai, so they're fast asleep. <laughs> what are their names? Uh, Duke and Wesley. Nice. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, Charlie, really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, I've known you for a while. Been super impressed with what you've been building with Humantra. Kind of followed your journey. And we've been connected for a couple of years. So it's been it's been really great to see just how much you've progressed as an entrepreneur and building the brand. But for anyone who doesn't know, um, just tell us your five-minute career story, kind of where it started, um, a bit about your journey and, and kind of what you're doing now um, in building Humantra. So, I mean, let's say, yeah, let's say you're back, university. We were just chatting, obviously not really know what I wanted to do when I was at school, but I did a law degree in Exeter in the UK because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did that for three years. And I think after two weeks, I was like, this is not for me. But fundamentally, it was great. It taught me how to public speak, taught me how to write frame arguments. So in essence, it was a good experience, but probably a, I probably could have done the course that took three years in 12 months. And then went into a corporate job in Dubai for like six years, which was a grad scheme in essence. So it was cool. Like I got exposure to lots of different facets of business. Like in essence, like it was really good and, and I enjoyed it. But we just had that discussion off there really where I just came to the conclusion at 27 that I was like, I'm not passionate about what I'm doing, but I'm pretty good at it. I couldn't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. So I was like, well, why don't I go and do something I'm actually passionate about? Surely I'm going to be better at that. And so... That took me on a pretty much a seven-year cycle of starting my own business. Shimantra is like my third iteration of businesses. I think each one's been progressively more successful, if I use that word lightly. First one was a complete mess. I learned more in like sort of 12, 24 months doing that 
than in my whole life up to that point, which was great. And, and um, fast forward to now, the second business was e-com, was contact lenses, which we worked together on. And then now I'm building Humantra, which is like my pride and joy, what I'm most passionate about. So it's been a long time coming, seven years of a lot of struggle. We spoke about the delayed gratification piece, but we're here now. Essentially, the Humantra is, we're a wellness brand. Our product that we sell is an electrolyzed sachet. And we're trying to promote optimal hydration through proactive daily wellness and proactive hydration. So for me, it's mass impact. I love what I do. I get out of bed very early every day with a smile on my face, but it has not been a linear positive journey to this point. But nonetheless, I've loved it and I wouldn't change any of it. You mentioned like you were good at it, but you didn't have passion. And now obviously you're doing something you're super passionate about. Why do you think that's important? Good question. I think it just goes back to like, I think in essence, everything comes down to hard work and literally the hours you put in. I mean, there's those Kobe stories about, you know, shooting shots 2 a.m. in the morning. It just comes down to reps, right? How much work you're willing to put in. I think that when the passion isn't there, you're more likely to go and do something else. Maybe not necessarily quit, but stop and be like, oh, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. But I think for me, passion pushes me further it means I wake up every morning early with a smile on my face, ready to solve the problems that are in front of me. And I look back to not having passion. And I think that not that I was selling a lie, but I was only probably using half of my potential. And I feel like passion for me gives me, it's like the unlock to all my capability. And it means that when there's super tough moments, and trust me, there have been some really hard moments over the last six, seven years. And, you know, I go back to that, you know, resilience piece. For me, it's like, if I wasn't passionate about it, I'd have given up ages ago. And I think that the passion piece just allows me somehow, even when I'm on the floor of the going again, stuff just to wake up the next day and just keep going again and again and again. Yeah, I think that's the, and again, we were talking about this before we started recording it. I think it is so hard, right? I think so many, a, a lot of people maybe have a, a misguided view of like what quote unquote success or building for yourself building something for yourself actually looks like. And I think like the, the passion piece becomes so important because if you if you aren't passionate about it, with how difficult it is, you're going to give up. And it's a, it's a consistent thing I hear from everyone. I agree. And I think we were chatting about it as well, sort of saying that you know, everyone sees the success, right? No one sees what you've had to go through to get there. And I think the con sort of the common misconception is that it's potentially easy and it's, you know, easy to be successful. And I just think, yeah, for me, especially like just the complete opposite, I wish my journey on anybody, but it's been fundamentally important that I went on that journey because it's, you know, made me who I am today. Well, not rewind, do it again, 100% no. And there've been some like, some sleep, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of self-doubt. But I think that, yeah, it just goes back to that piece where it's like, you just don't give up. And I think not giving up comes from from passion. So yeah, I think, yeah, passion's so important and I love what I do. Amazing. So Humantra, um, your current brand, um, what was the inspiration behind that? Because you, as you mentioned, you, you'd had a couple of other brands previously or businesses previously. Like why Humantra? Why are you building a brand in the wellness space? What kind of sparked the initial idea? Yeah, I think I'd say literally maybe, yeah, about 24 months ago, really for me, like we spoke about earlier, like I just went on a, a big introspection, an introspective journey really about taking complete accountability for everything in my life. And I think I just almost went on this like mass detox, like who I followed on social, the content I was consuming, the people I was spending my time with, the output that I was putting out into the world. And, you know, what I fundamentally brought down to is that I wanted to 
get fitter. I wanted to spend more time in the gym. I wanted to be healthy. Ultimately, I wanted to have a family and I wanted to really do what I was passionate about. And so the more I was training and concurrently, I found out that my dad had then been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Sadly, he died in December. But for me, I needed a, I needed a crux effectively to help me combat that. And I sort of used physical pain to combat emotional pain, which looking back now was not the right things to do. But at the time, it served as a great purpose, which helped me dive deeper into health and wellness, fitness. And I looked back and looked at my dad. And in essence, I was like, no amount of money could have made him better. You can't buy health and wellness. You just can't. And so for me, it was about dialing in in the gym and looking at all those different aspects of health and wellness. And I think the one aspect of the fitness or wellness industry that gets overlooked all the time is optimal hydration. And so, you know, you could not eat for a week and you'd still be alive. But if you didn't drink, you'd be dead. And so everyone's looking for like protein powders or creatine and all these amazing things which are great in silo, part of a balanced diet. But I think what gets overlooked the most is hydration. And from my experience, optimal hydration is the easiest thing to pursue every day to have the biggest possible upside. And that's what really excited me. So for me, it was about hydration. And then if I tie it back into an econ perspective, it was a replenishable product, which was obviously super important for me from an econ perspective, super lightweight shipping and something I was really passionate about. So this, the stars aligned and it was like, well, how can we build a product in the supplement space around hydration? And that's it really. So, I mean, you're into your fitness. I'm into my fitness as well. And I'll say for me, hydration is, well, I drink a lot of water each day, but to your point, like, you know, I, I know about electrolytes, but I don't take them. Um, until recently when I started purchasing Humantia. So you're right, like when you think about hydration and having electrolytes and the ease of putting a sachet of Humantia in some water, it's super easy compared to buying the right food, cooking the right food, getting the right protein shakes, taking the right supplements and all that sort of stuff. But it does have a big impact. Why do you think hydration is more of an overlooked aspect of overall health and wellness? Great question. I think in essence, we've always been taught that drinking water is the only way to be hydrated. And I think that that misconception has meant that people have overlooked the mineral or electrolyte space. Whereas adequate and optimal hydration is a combination of the actual fluid water and the minerals or electrolytes that your body needs. Now, some water, like the more expensive spring water, has good mineral content in it. Other water, maybe tap water, some bottled water doesn't. And your body needs these minerals to function properly. Unfortunately, your body doesn't naturally create minerals, sodium, calcium, potassium, etc. So if you're not supplementing them into your diet adequately, you're putting yourself and your body at a disservice. You know, cognitively, physically, your sleep, you know, magnesium is getting loads of talk now. Magnesium is an electrolyte. Sodium is an electrolyte. How, how often is there a discourse around salt being bad for you? Of course, everything to excess is bad for you, but sodium is so integral to optimal bodily function. It's ridiculous. And so I just think the narrative, just like a lot of health and wellness, has maybe been a little bit miscued and, and people need to realize that you need water, fluid water, and you need electrolytes or minerals. I, mean, I use that word interchangeably. And even there was a story recent, I think last week, where a lady drank too much water without mineral content and she actually passed away. I'm not laughing at that. I'm sorry I smiled. I give my girlfriend shit all the time because she doesn't drink water. And, and she, you know, 
terribly sad about the person, but she sent me the post and was like, see, I'm being careful. I'm not drinking too much water. Look at what happens. But, you know, prime example of somebody who doesn't pay attention to hydration, but constantly feels tired and has headaches, which- That's the one thing I thought about to all my mates now and who are fit and healthy. I mean, for two years, I've taken electrolytes and, you know, I do all the human type stuff, you know, have saunas, cold plunge and everything. And I genuinely can't remember the last time that I had a headache while I was ill. Seriously. And my friends, same thing. And maybe people say, oh, well, you're lucky or whatever. You're not. And, but for me, it's like a combination of, I don't like this idea of everyone's looking for a quick fix, right? And I just think that it's all a journey. Excuse the pun, like it's fluid. It's just, you just every day, especially with hydration and everything, you can't just go and get a quick fix. This is not sustainable. And I think it's in every aspect of life. You know, if you look at brands that win really, really quickly. Is there longevity? No. It's about how long you can last effectively in business, in training, whatever it is. And I think that ultimately you need things that are sustainable over a long period of time. That has the biggest macro impact. So, and the easiest thing to do is like drink electrolytes every day when you wake up and genuinely it's going to improve like your life. It just can't not. Talking about passion, I can I can hear the passion in your voice about the products and about what it, the problems you're solving, which is, it, it adds to that authenticity of obviously like, and, 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 follow, and falls through probably into why the brand has been so, so successful because you, you really believe in what you're building and you've been a benefactor from the products, right? In your own life. Do you know what? It's like, I only, I only have to read reviews from, you know, and I think that I'll always remember like my first brand when some random person buys your product for the very first time, how good that feel. But reading like, and I, we get reviews every day on, on the products and genuinely like some of those reviews, life-changing for people, you know? And I think that might sound grand and romantic, but I think if I go back to like what my ulterior motive was, was I always wanted to at some stage like have mass impact in a positive way. And I genuinely believe that that's what I'm doing now in this business, which excites me every day. And I genuinely believe whether romantic or not, like the power of adequate hydration is a game changer. Because I think how many people do you speak to? Like I will always say, oh, I'm not drunk enough water today. So like not only are they not getting the fluids they need, they're not getting the minerals they need. So of course they're gonna feel rubbish. And I used to be one of those people where you trick yourself thinking, oh, I feel rubbish today, feel crap, feel shit. And you trick yourself thinking that's the norm. And like, it just it just doesn't need to be the norm. I'm waking up tired every day, granted, but life can get difficult. But I think there are certain things you can do to try and offset certain things. And I'd say like adequate hydration every day is only going to have a net gain on your daily life. It's no, there's no negatives to it. I love that and totally agree. You've got a tattoo, and I think it's on your Instagram page of what does chop wood uh, uh, or chop wood and carry water. What does that mean? So I read a book called Eleven Rings by Phil Jackson uh, after watching The Last Dance about ten times during COVID. So Phil Jackson coached MJ, coached Kobe, um, the most successful NBA coach of all time, and he was big fan of sort of spirituality and he references a Zen Buddha quote in the book I'm talking about the Lakers and he said that after alignment chop would carry water before alignment chop would carry water in essence the phrase really means like focus on the task at hand don't dwell on the future or the past and I think for so long like we spoke just before we, we started recording I was always 
thinking back and thinking I'd change this or trying to fast forward and oh, when I get to X, Y, Z, I'm going to be happy. Or, you know, when I get to this stage of business, like I won't have any problems. And I just think that that was just the wrong way about it. And I think for me, it's like focus at the task at hand, enjoy the process. Because I'm a, I'm a process guy. Like I think there's no like mad end goal where I want to get to and just stop. Like I love what I do. And sometimes you do get caught with it. You want to like get to the end of the month to see how performance is or you want to look back and think, oh, I could have done that differently, but it doesn't help. And so it's just about like, just focus on the day to day like that. All those cliches, like 1% better every day. And like you go back to all these bigger businesses with this like singular focus of, you know, with Basos and, you know, how can we improve this for the customer? Does that, you know, make the customer experience better? Even with Elon with SpaceX, like, does he get as close as to Mars? And I think for me, it's like, can I just focus on the day-to-day, which is going to serve me way better than just dwelling on things that are out of my control? 100%. I love it. Great quote. You live in Dubai. You mentioned in your in your story that you went over there earlier on in your career. Why did you make the move permanent? I mean, I love Dubai. It's it's hot. Um, so why Dubai? And what's, what's the e-commerce space like over there? Why Dubai? I think it's super conducive for what I'm doing right now. It's a great, I think, test market for brands. I'd say e-com, online e-com is pretty nascent. You know, if you look at the macro sort of scene, you know, Netflix, Amazon only really came to the region in 2018, 2019. So the idea of tokenization and subscriptions in reality only really came into play in 2019. And if you look at the Visa Mastercard studies, like cash on delivery was the predominant mode of payment until basically like, probably 77, 70% of payments until like 2018. So like it's a predominant mall culture here, you know, going to the mall is a social element as well. But I think that what you're getting here is amazing people. It's a, a great place to live. And I think that, yeah, it's just very conducive for people wanting to push boundaries, you know, the from it's a small city, but it's a young city. So I think the rise of e-com is going to start hitting some heavier heights. It's never going to be the size of the US or the UK, but for me, it's just a super conducive place to be. It's served me really well for 10 years. And um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed my time here. Is it very is it very uh, entrepreneurial? Oh, I mean, yeah. I think, look, you can't be here unless you've got a job, right? Which I think in essence, these people are moving here to better their life. At any stage of the career spectrum or the wealth spectrum, You know, even if you're a lower income worker and you're coming here to better off your family because salary is better than where it is home. Like even even at that stage, I feel that that's an entrepreneurial decision. You're going to go and do something to better yourself. And so in essence, people are actively choosing to come here to have a better life. That sounds really, I'm doing that because that sounds pretty pathetic, but it's true. You know, you can only be here if you're trying to, if you want to work. And I think that the rise of startups, brands popping up here now. I mean, there's not a lot, but I just think that people are actively trying to do some pretty cool things here. And I think especially with the location, you know, logistically now, it's a great place to service multiple markets. You've seen the rise of Saudi Arabia as a colossal market. You know, we talk about the US being massive, single speaking, 350 million people. You know, the GCC is starting to, to, to rival that, you know, you know, one language unifying everybody, huge population across the GCC. So I think it's a super exciting time to be in the region and it's set up to, to really give young people the platform to, to, to do amazing things. Amazing. I need to get back out there soon. I, I loved it over there when I was there. 
It's really hot now. Heat on for like another three months. <laughs> I don't think I'll, I'll. I'll wait till it's a little bit cooler. Um, I'll just be sunburned and and red the whole time otherwise. So with with Humantra, I'm always really keen to understand the founders' philosophy to building a brand. Because there's, there's many different philosophies, right, in terms of how people approach it. And it, it kind of guides certain tactics that people uh, use to build a brand. What what was your philosophy when building a brand? Like, what did you think was, I need to do these things to build a brand? Like, these are the priorities. And, and how has that shifted as, as the brand's, you know, grown and, and gotten bigger? I think prerequisite to all brand story needs to be great product. Like it's not enough just to have a great product. I think you, know, just, you just have to have one. And so I think creating a product that we were super happy with and we were really proud of took time. So the business in essence was built on a great product. And I think then the next stage was, in my mind, I'm a big fan of like trying to make as much of your own noise as possible rather than going out and paying for noise when you haven't even sold any product. And so it was almost just like dialing in on a narrative, one single narrative, which was we focused on speaking to people that have never had an electrolyte before. And because I thought it's harder to convert somebody away from another product or somebody who's got a preconceived idea about what they should or shouldn't be taking, that's harder to do. But whereas what's easier to do is like, how can we present the problem in an effective manner and then provide a solution? And I think that targeting first time electrolyte users, people that probably didn't think electrolytes were for them was how we went about building our brand. And I think that we, we obviously, whenever I'm on, you've got a product, right? And I think beyond there, and we're still figuring it out every day, but it's having like a singular message and having a really solid product that people want to come back and buy over and over again. And I think for me, that was, okay, well, how do we take the story that we have to talking to the first time users? And now how do we apply it to people that maybe converting from another product. Because I think our product's good enough to speak to those people as well. So it's just a proliferation of ideas then. Of not, you know, we don't want to talk to everybody, but I think for us, it's like having key concise messaging, telling stories and ultimately like building, like hype sounds like a, a cliched word, but it's like, how can we build as much noise, positive noise around on the product as possible? And for us, that came with like almost layering in an element of performance marketing top of funnel. But then I was like, well, how can we almost be seen in all the right places? So like some of the stuff we did early days was going to gyms, spin studios with great communities, trying to get the the instructors or people in the class using the products as well. Because in theory, it's like, let's say Claire on the school run sees a Facebook ad about product. She thinks that looks pretty good. But then the next thing she's going to a spin class that she loves and she's seeing her instructor use the product. And it was just like seeing the brand in the right places. And so for us, it was like this multi-tiered approach of having great product, solid storyline, and then effective validation in the right places. And I think if we continue to do that, then we're going to have a good time. And what about the team? So you you founded the uh, the company. What's been your approach to the, the team? Who Like in terms of who do you have in-house because I think a, a, a lot of brands, when they're first starting out, is like, what do I need and who do I need to help me grow this, right? Outside of like the product development and everything else. So what, what's, what's been your approach there and what's worked or what's not worked? So I've just hired my first person 
Um, so we're like just hiring two roles, which is a customer service role and a brand manager role. But up until this point, it's just been uh, me within the brand. And I think my ethos around that was very much like where I'm not proficient, we'll work with best in class to help us. So from an agency perspective, obviously we use a performance marketing agency to help us with all our, our sort of performance stuff. We have a sort of content agency locally in Dubai that help us with our organic content. We use 3PL obviously for all our deliveries, which just happens to be the same 3PL we have in the UAE and in the UK, which is super convenient. And I just think that, yeah. And then I get leverage support from a finance perspective from our investors, Huda Beauty Investments. They help me with with my numbers and all of that sort of stuff. So it's just been me, which has been a slog, um, but it's, it's almost given me the perfect foundation to identify where I need the most amount of help. And I'm so I'm super excited to be hiring people that the business really needs right now. And it's going to, you know, have, it's going to benefit from massively, not just the business, but I think as a founder, my time is going to be spent in more effective areas. But I'd say like one of my superpowers was like, I would do all the shit jobs for as long as possible and work as much as possible because it's given me the, and I've done this, you know, in every iteration of my businesses. It's like, can we do as much as possible until we go and get up the help? Because you just understand exactly what's going on in the business. But yeah, I'm at a point now where like, I can't spend all day in DMs and replying to emails and, and everything. So we're bringing on a customer service support and also like brand manager piece. So yeah, at the moment, like, uh, it's been, a, yeah, I'll do everything. But now it's like, we're going to go and hire like super, like important roles in the business. And that's the next stage, right? I'm really excited now to build out this team because I believe, I believe we've got product market fit 100%. The business makes sense. And now our ability to really scale this business into what we want it to be is down to my ability to find and nurture talent, bring them all together and, and have a place where they love working. And then, then ultimately, in the processes to help them perform and keep the, the brand moving forward. So that's like the next iteration for, for me as a founder. And that's why I lose the most amount of sleep over, but I'm also really excited about. I think it was, uh, I can't remember who said it, but the job of any founder at some point becomes one of a, you, you become a, a talent acquisition focused company, right? Because at, at a certain stage, the success of your company becomes so much about who's working there. You're, you're totally right. Like you've been able to do everything up until this point, but your ability to then scale and be even more successful is, well, how well can you hire? So is your ability to find great people, bring great people in and, and give them the tools that they need to be successful, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is, we spoke about it. It's about assembling great people and that can be really difficult. Like I tried to hire about three months ago, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was looking for. And it, for, for the right reasons, it didn't work out. Whereas now I feel like I'm in a great position to bring the right people on board. And, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I'll give you my resume. I'm, I'm a fan of the brand. <laughs> Got any jobs going? Uh, you mentioned investor from uh, Huda Beauty. When did you get investment? At what stage of the brand did you think you needed investment? And how did that, what was that process like? And how did that come about? It was pre-product. It was right at the start. It was more like an incubation type project. Um, had incubated a couple of brands, Humantra, like Nameless at that point was one of those more of an idea and a concept. And, and they've been phenomenal. You know, what they have done, what Huda, Mona, Alia have built at that business is incredible. You know, unreal execution, arguably probably the best and biggest brand to come out of this region. They are f fantastic. They've been really, really great sort of 
supporters of the brand. They've held me no end. And, and um, yeah, it's been hugely important. I just think for me, having sort of been through the trials and tribulations of putting your own money in, losing it, I think they've just been able to guide me so much better. And it's been so helpful. And, you know, being able to talk to people that have done it before to a much larger extent than you have is invaluable. And I think ultimately, that's the one thing I've realized. It's just about having the right people around you all the time in every aspect of your life. You don't want to build alone. It's it's lonely. You know, surround yourself with great people, have great conversations, great energy and, and good things happen. And again, we spoke about this is like, even though there might be nuance to the specifics, when you align yourself with the right people who are maybe like further down the journey than you are, what you actually learn quite quickly is that their journey is followed uh, nine times out of 10, the journey has followed a very similar path of challenge and struggle and, you know, all those sorts of things. So I think it's like, to your point, it's like, you know, one it's it's more fun to build with other people. Um, than be constantly kind of in your own head. But two, it's not even that they can solve every problem for you. It's sometimes the reassurance that what you're going through, through challenges and this and that, like this normal. You don't need to think of everything as an existential threat. Like the most successful people that I know have had and can tell me many stories of where they thought everything was going to come crashing down and they didn't know what to do. And they somehow survived <laughs> through through sheer kind of conviction and belief and, and unwillingness to give up. My favorite question to ask any entrepreneur and no matter how successful is like, tell me the time where you thought it was all fucking over or like the worst point. And some of those stories where people come back from the brink are incredible. And it's like, I love asking those two questions. Like, where do you derive the most amount of joy from in what you do? And then also like, tell me about the time where you thought like, this is all over. Because everybody's got a great story to tell. Everybody does. I've got about... 20 of those when I thought it was. Yeah, yeah I could, which, one, which one do you want to hear about? How long have you? Just this morning, in fact, it's only 9.30. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, 100%, 100%. What have been some of those hurdles for you, right? And I don't want to, I don't want to get to like, it's, it's not about even being negative, but I think, you know, one thing I'm always really conscious of, and I love that those are the questions you asked, by the way, those are great questions. Where do you derive joy? I'm, I'm, I might have to sneak that into the podcast, actually. What are some of the hurdles that you've specifically had to overcome when building Cumantia? Because for anyone listening who is building a brand, maybe going through something or maybe doesn't have a resource like a Huda Beauty or, or somebody else ahead of them, like talk a bit about the hurdles and how you have overcome them. I think I'll split two. I'll split like the professional aspects and then probably the personal aspects. And I think the personal is a lot more prevalent because I think all the professional stuff can be overcome, right? It's not like I'm doing rocket science. Like, and it's in essence, you know, I'm moving boxes around the world, really. Obviously, there's more to it than that, but it's like, how can we be with that? You know, we're not solving diseases or solving crisis, not rocket science. So I think sort of professionally, the area that I've struggled with the most is probably supply chain. And that's what scares me a lot. We've sold out a couple too many times now, which is great because it shows we can sell products. But at the same time, like I need to get better at being able to not run out of products. It's all right two or three times, but then like if it keeps happening, it's an issue. So supply chain keeps me up at night. Um, but I think we're getting every order, we're getting better at it, which I think is great. And I think that while it's like my biggest frustration, like I'm committed to getting better at it. So there's like a part of it as a game is quite enjoyable. But I think 
Absolutely, like everything's solvable. But I think for me, fundamentally, it's like that imposter syndrome that we spoke about just before we started recording. That internal battle in my head, like when I've faced it for maybe, I think I'm largely through the other side of it, but I think there'll always be an element of it, like in the back of my head. It's like, when is this all going to end? And I think I just became so conditioned to things not working very well and not working as I planned that then I was like, right, well, my sort of default was like, right, when's when's this going to mess up? type thing when in reality it's like the more reps I've done the better my craft I am and the just having the confidence that I'm doing the right thing it's not going to end goes back to that chop wood carry water quote for me it's like focus on what I'm doing right now there's a reason why I'm here and I think that self-doubt can be can eat you up 100% can and I've had times I'm thinking like yeah literally I'm really worried about what's going to happen but I also think to that point that's what's pushed me forward like that fear of not being good enough or that fear of it not working out means every day I'm working harder to make sure that my biggest fear never happens so it's like counterintuitive like it eats you up but at the same time it keeps you going so I'd say yeah professionally it's a supply chain piece and then personally it's just like internal battle with my head like yes this isn't going to end. And, you know, I am the master of this shit and I'm not letting it, I'm not going to let it sink. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like you said, the thing that causes the negativity or doubt or, you know, s- stress, for lack of a better phrase, potentially also the thing that drives you. And it's like, you actually don't want to lose it. You just want to be able to control it and realize you aren't like, how do you harness that? How do you harness those feelings and be in control of them versus having them control you? Because yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've encountered it. When you feel that way, you can't operate at the same level. You're operating from a place of fear, which you know, like, can have a negative impact on your decisions. So, like, not just mentally in your own personal kind of like happiness and health and everything else, but it can have a detrimental impact on more well, the day-to-day actions because you're operating from a place place of fear. There's, there's a genuine, it's genuine, it's like science. If you're in fight or flight mode, your brain waves are on a different cadence to how you need to be creatively, we need to think creatively. And so when you're like fighting to survive, your ability to be creative is suppressed. And so it's almost like just trusting instincts knowing that you're on the right page. And I think you get peaks and troughs of it. Sometimes you just need to go into a shell and just get through it, work on it and improve. And I think for me, I think as I've become more experienced in this game, you know, seven years on, it's like, I know those days when you doubt yourself, they do come and you just embrace them and you know, tomorrow is going to be different. You wake up and you just go again. And I think that that comes from just reps, right? It's reps on reps on reps. Like how often do people go to the gym and you fail away, but you just keep them lifting it. Same with entrepreneurship and I hate being an entrepreneur but I just think it's just, I just turn up every day with a good attitude there are going to be good days there are going to be bad days but just like believe in yourself and that's I think for me being the hardest challenge but I think I'm getting better at it with with more experience I think it's something every every entrepreneur just has to go through you know you, you can hear all the advice in the world from people who are like you know you got to enjoy the journey and you got to do this and you got to do that and it's so true but I I genuinely think you don't get to that point, even though you know it, even though you know and have heard all the advice and the things from people who are further on, you actually just have to go through it. You have to experience it for yourself. And most people will eventually come to that conclusion of, oh no, they were right. But like, it's very difficult to operate that way until you, you know, been some way down the journey. But I mean, how often? Often it's like your parents are like, don't touch that plate and you want to touch it. You know, and my girlfriend's 
Yeah, she's like, you know, I need to learn it myself. No matter how many times people tell me not to do something, like I need to go through that pain myself to make myself understand it. And I think definitely when it comes to building business, like you can read all the books and you can listen to all the, the people that have done it before, but until you do it, until you like do it on a daily basis, like no amount of logic or reason in a book is gonna gonna do it for you. You just gotta do it. Like you just gotta do it offensively. Which is scary, but it's like there's no manual and like we were speaking about before, like there's so many people further down the line than me that are still working out as they go. And so it's like that gives me comfort knowing that when I'm like, God, what do I do here? Know that other people don't know necessarily what they're doing, which is great. And I think ultimately, like, it's just worked out. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar business. Like, everyone's still going in every day. Like, they've still got a family. They've still got home. They still do all normal things. And I realized that at a young age, like, everybody is just like a normal person, effectively. And everyone's still just trying to get through every day. And I think that's... Like when you think of it like that, it makes the hard days easier because you're not the only one struggling. You know, everyone does struggle from time to time. Yeah, 100%. We touched upon it a little bit earlier and I've heard, you know, and I know this about you, when it comes to like specific marketing activities within a brand. And I think we share a very similar philosophy because we were, we, were, we were catching up of, you know, it's even though, I mean, I technically run a brand performance marketing agency, like our approach, it's not just about lower funnel meta ads it's really about how are we thinking who is the target consumer what messaging can we put in front of them that grows the brand holistically right so that, that's very much an ingrained philosophy uh, that i've always had and that we have at, at fly performance and you know you share the same philosophy around like you know it's not just about facebook hacks that's going to grow my brand it's, it's a big part of it right running ads and everything but you your overall approach is far more, how do I tell the right stories and get in front of the right people to grow my brand? So talk a little bit more about how that's guided, you know, your approach to actual marketing for the for the brand. And did you launch straight into ads when you launched the brand or do you try and go organically a, bit, a little bit more? Because I think a lot of people still think the silver bullet is, well, I'll make a product, I'll build a shop by site, I'll launch ads on day one and we'll be fucking crushing it. Crush it. Yeah, 100%. I used to think like that. 100% like this, turn ads on and you fucking nailed it. With your mantra, so we didn't turn ads on for four months. So we did pretty much like organic, which was good. And we grew month on month, which is great. And, and I think seeing, I think we got to around $20,000 organic. And I was like, okay, I think this works. Like, I think that this is what, this is, this now warrants spend putting to it. And that was the nerve-wracking thing to do. That was at 20 grand in revenue per month? Yeah, 20,000 a month in revenue was what we got to before we started. And the next month we did paid and we launched paid. And was it, What was that month, if you don't mind me asking? It blew, it blew all my expectations. Like it was good. Like when I was like, I know it's working. Because I think fundamentally at yeah, that point in time, like we were super concise on messaging, went back to the idea of problem solution. And there were, there was an element of, look, we needed to be good at what we were doing. We needed to be good at buying media. But I very quickly realized that, that isn't good enough. That you can get anyone to buy anything, I think, once. But the true testament is how how could we get people coming back more and more and more? And I look at it, the biggest frustration I have as this business owner right now is that I want to educate people to have two sachets a day every day, the first thing they do every morning. And so I'm racking my brain every day right now, not thinking about what our customer acquisition cost is. I'm thinking, how can I instill behavior into people and how to use our products effectively. And I think that, that 
if anything's going to describe how I view the brand piece, it's that. You know, it's like, I believe we can get people to try our product. I believe we've got the skill set from a technical perspective to entice people into the into the product. But I think what transitions somebody from buying the product once into buying our product every month for the rest of their life is the brand piece. You know, how can we educate them first and foremost on on the hydration piece? How do we educate them that our product is sufficient, if not better, or good enough for them? You know, I don't want to say it's our product's better than anyone else's, but I'm saying it's better than not taking electrolytes. So I've got to educate somebody why they need to take electrolytes. And then I think at that point, that for me is brand. It's like, how can we just transition from just being a product business that I think has a place maybe on Amazon, there are loads of product businesses on Amazon, into how do we transition into a brand and how do we tell stories? And I think we chatted about it earlier. Like I think we're going into an age now where storytellers are going to win all over again. It's not good enough just to have an, an incredible media buying team behind you. You know, the one metric I track as a business owner for like ultimate success is is blended ROAS. You know, not on-platform ROAS, it's blended. Because I know roughly where our sort of on-platform ROAS is. But so I know really if I'm judging brand, the number from on-platform to what the blended actually is, that's how good we are at being a brand. And that's what excites me the most. How can we get our performance spend stretched as much as possible? And I think that that's what excites me the most. You know, that's what's allowed us to be in the position we're in right now. And it's like, yeah, everything outside of on-platform, you know, how do we build validation into the product? How do we educate our consumers? You know, if I put my, the way I look at it is if you put me in a room, I could convince somebody to try Humantra once and I could tell them how they should take it, when they should be taking it. I genuinely believe I can convince people. So how do we replicate that on a mass scale? And I think that comes as many different such points beyond just like on-platform marketing. And like our role is to reduce that consideration phase down as much as possible. But I would rather it take 30 days for a customer to be like, yeah, this is the brand for me. And it costs slightly more, uh, sorry, more, that's not the word. It costs slightly more to acquire that customer. But I know they're going to, that customer that is well-educated enough to know they need our products every day, two a day, and they're going to come and buy our products for the next three years. That to me is a win. I don't want to just acquire somebody quickly on platform because they think it looks good or tastes good. And then they don't get the results they think they're going to get from it and they never buy it again. That isn't really trying to do. And I think a lot of people sold for that first purchase to be as cheap as possible, not really understanding who that consumer is. And so for me, brand is like that everything off platform that I think we're starting to do really well, but I'm also excited because we barely just started it. You mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, is it 100% online? We probably do like 85% e-com now. We're starting to branch out into to retail B2B pieces. I think that will only continue now. What I like about the econ piece is it's where we can educate the most. And so if I look at our UAE model as a reference point, we did econ for, I don't know, 15, 15 months um, or 14 months. And then the B2B stuff sort of came to us in an amazing sense because we'd put the groundwork in and we've educated people. People knew who the brand was. And I think that will always be it's a new market, econ first, and then can we transition into making the product more accessible? I never want our product just sat on a shelf with no education. People don't know what it is, how to use it. So I think econ is the best way for people to come into the brand. And then as we grow and scale, we'll definitely be doing more retail stuff. And that's been a shift, right, in the last couple of years. I think, you know, DTC became an entire business model, you know, and I think like, 
rightly so, right? Because you go where the opportunity is and the opportunity was like, Facebook ads is so easy at that time. You know, it's like, we never need to do anything other than just run Facebook ads. And I'd argue that was always going to be a, I'm sure it gave a lot of brands a prop up, but it was always going to be a short-lived kind of approach in, in some senses. So your approach to being more omni-channel of like e-com first, but then extend out of there is really interesting. And I think a lot more brands are doing that. You would say like a lot of brands doing pop-up stores and trying to have that in-person physical location, touch, feel, try the product. And it makes so much sense, but I think a lot of brands didn't even consider that for a long period of time, you know? So one of the challenges is then measurement, right? Right. Of like when you're in multiple areas, is your advertising, I mean, you, you can measure it, but it, it does, it does require a different level of understanding of the business, you know? If I'm advertising or running ads on X, Y, and Z channel, my e-com isn't going up, but hey, my Amazon is, and actually my store location revenue is, like my sell-throughs are pretty high. At the end of the day, like that's why that blended understanding of the business really comes into play, right? 100%. I think, yeah, look, the direct consumer is an element of this business. You know, we're not an e-com business. We're not a D2C business. Like we're a an electrolyte business, you know, we are an electrolyte brand. And so how we get to consumers is going to evolve over the time. You know, I don't want to be on Amazon right now. It's not where we need to be. You know, that's a choice we're making, but you know, we're in some great retail spots in the UAE. We're looking at some awesome retail spots in, in the UK as well. And I think ultimately, you know, sort of 10% of our revenue in the UAE is through delivery. And I would never have expected people to buy electrolytes on delivery, but yet people do. And so why would I stop them buying through a channel that consumers want to buy through? And so like, it's just having that appreciation that I don't have all the answers. And it's like listening to consumers, understanding what they want and making sure that we can build a proposition that consumers want and need every day. And I think for a long time, my earlier stage as an entrepreneur, especially with the D2C piece, I was like, nah, I'm going to be a direct consumer brand and I'm only going to sell direct consumer because I want to own all the customer data, yada, yada, yada. Like how many times have we heard that? That used to be me. Whereas now I'm like, I want to get a phenomenal brand and I want to make it accessible in the right places to how people want to access it. And like that for me is where I'm having the most amount of fun. It's like, let's just get a great, fundamentally a great product, build a great brand around round it and then just interact with people in so many different ways. And I think that, yeah, D2C, you can't just buy media really effectively anymore. There needs to be more to it than that. I recently purchased and you did a brand club with a brand that I know we're both big fans of the, the brand, the product and the founders. But you did a collaboration with Represents. How did that come about? And are brand collaborations and those sorts of partnerships something that you see yourself doing more of in in the future? Yeah. So the the rep collab was was special for me. Like I'd say it's probably like my favorite brand on the planet. My wardrobe is all represent what George and Mike have built is phenomenal. And I think that maybe people just assume that like I've been made for George and he's helped to make it out, but it's not that way inclined at all. I remember when we when we launched Humantra, I just messaged him on Instagram saying, Hey man, I'm a big fan of your product. I would love to send you my product. And he said, he just sent me the address back. And that was in November, maybe October, 2021. And I just sent in the products and didn't ask for anything in return. And I just sent in products every month 
And then I think in January, like he posted and it was like in the background or something. And I was like, holy shit. And then I think from there, it just stemmed from George having a genuine appreciation for the product. He used it every day. He loved the product and it was super authentic. And I think, you know, I didn't ask for anything in return. And then I remember I put actually the screenshot on my Instagram the other day. George just messaged me saying, do you reckon we could do some 247 electros? And I was like, fuck, yeah, of course we could. And I think then that's where Spicy Mango came from. You know, it's hyped in with George's story massively. He loves Spicy Mango. And so I think it just came from a really pure place of complete authenticity. George loving our product. It aligned perfectly with his story and what he's building it represent. And I think that's why it works because it, it's not like we're just coming together for a fad just to launch something. You know, George is a master in telling story and building hype. And he's done that with 247, you know, as an extension of the represent brand. And yeah, so it just came from me sending my product to somebody I massively respected. And then the story that evolved from there is actually one that I'll always, I'll always cherish. Like it's pretty special. I'm super proud of it. Yeah, you should be, man. What what a great story. Like the random hopeful DM resulting in what? Like, it's just, it's that. It goes back to that. Like it's always like give without asking. Always. I always be that type of person. And like don't expect anything in return. Just like give. And that comes from like knowledge, product, everything. I think there's a culture now where you know, people want to send people stuff and immediately like, oh, I'll keep posting on Instagram. Like, I never once ask, I never send products to anyone and ask them to post about it. All I ever do is send products and say like, just please let me know what you think of the product. That's all I need. And if it's not for you, and I think that's where, you know, if I look at as well, beyond George, some of the people that use our product now, you know, we've got some Premier League footballers using the product, other professional athletes. And it's like, we don't pay anyone to use the product. It's just come down from a genuine love of the product. And just from a really authentic place. And I think I'd say like one of my skill sets is like that authenticity piece. Like as a brand, we want to be super transparent, exceptionally authentic. And I think that's just what's held us in good sense at this point. So yeah, one of those stories I'll always be proud of and very, like very, very appreciative of, of the support that George has given the brand because he's further down the track than I am. And it's been, it's been incredible to be a part of. And actually to see a master craft, like a master of his craft, both Mike and George, up close and personal, seeing what they do, it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, different gravy. Very impressive. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm huge fans of them as entrepreneurs and, and I absolutely love the brand as well. Like I'm typically decked out in, if, if represent pretty exclusively. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I bought it, I bought the club. Spicy mango. It wouldn't be the first flavor I'd think of, but I'm excited to try it. It's good. It's nice. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, that, that sort of that lends itself into it. Like one of the key elements, obviously, looking at George's lifestyle, is that he's a super active guy. Um, our minerals in the main line of the product has 180 milligrams of sodium in it, so it's not really high sodium content. Your average Joe, normal person, doesn't need a load of sodium all the time, and that's the mineral balance we went with. Whereas the spicy mango flavor has 500 milligrams of sodium, so which is more geared to people that are maybe training a little bit more often. You need to replenish the salts losing that you've lost during sweat. And so it's tied in with what George was doing. He gave us a more nuanced version of our product, more performance line. It actually helped us then talk to people that are in that conversion market a little bit better because the sodium required you needed. So as a brand, it gave us a great sort of opportunity to for an MPD to sort of spin a different product out of slightly different to mainline. And obviously it's a limited collaboration. It ties in flavor-wise to exactly what George wanted. 
or yet uh, an authentic version of of something that's been in the works for a long time and uh it's been yeah very proud of it i think that's you know you use the word a couple of times and everything from how it came about to how like the end result of the product and it's it, like it's so true of so much when it comes to building a brand is is that authenticity like it's not it's it doesn't feel like a forced collaboration it doesn't like the outreach was authentic. The use of the product from George's perspective was authentic. The coming together was based on a love of the product and your admiration of him and what he does and his lifestyle. And, you know, for anyone who does follow him, he's constantly posting his, you know, his chopped up mangoes, which um, <laughs> help him get the physique. So like, I love that, th that just like constant through threads of authenticity. And I think like the best marketing, the best brand collaborations, the best stories that are told, you know, cause people aren't stupid. Like you, you, you can tell if something is being forced or faked versus if something is really authentic. Do you know what? I think what it fundamentally boils down to, like I realized that maybe four months ago, like if you ask me like, what is business? Business to me is like doing cool shit with cool people. That's all it is. And I think you know, the represent collab is to see epitome of just doing cool shit with cool people. And like, that's what I get out of bed for. That's what makes me smile every day. Like I've just, somebody said to me, like you can collab with any brand in the world. Who would it be? Like I'd have said rep and we did it. Like it was our, the first rep. First collab we did, we can't talk about it. We contracts, but, but the second one was with rep. And like, um, yeah, it's every day. Like it's just been amazing. It's, and George has been massively influential on, on the brand as well, um, and and my own as well. So I highly appreciate it. But it's it's been it's been pretty pretty awesome. You talk a lot about um, your own fitness journey, you know, and anyone who follows you, and and again being authentic. You, you came up with this product because you identified an issue. You you live a healthy, active lifestyle. Uh, you have a pretty regimented morning routine. I mean, what you're up at what three thirty four. Yeah, I try, four o'clock is like probably the latest I get up. My alarm goes off at four. Sometimes I'm up earlier than that, but I think that comes. I go to bed very early anyway. Uh, my girlfriend also lives in Australia, so sometimes it's easier getting up anyway. But yeah, early mornings for me is sacrosanct. I absolutely love the morning. I think if I look back on my 20s and 30s, early 30s, I, in the evenings, I was spending time like watching crap on TV or doing stuff that wasn't helping me move forward. And I was, and I was getting up later in the mornings and it just wasn't a, a great place to be. Whereas now, like the mornings are peaceful. I love training early. I think discipline comes down to like doing hard things. And if you set a tone for the day, like it's not easy getting up before every morning. Like, it's not like I get up before to go and like watch Netflix. I get up to go and do something difficult. So it like compounds the difficulty getting up early, go and do something difficult. But I think for me, it's just like that discipline sets the tone for the day. And because I love what I do, like waking up in the morning, is just not difficult. I mean, it used to be like, don't get me wrong. Like I used to think seven o'clock was like, was a good time, was early to get out of bed. But gradually got earlier and earlier and my bedtime's got earlier and earlier. But for me, it just... Yeah, that that it's the morning is just so peaceful. And a lot of my deep work, training deep work happens before eight o'clock. It's an interesting one. Cause you know, you, you see a lot of stuff on, you know, social media and it's like, you know, morning routine, this, that, and the other. Like my take on it is like, it's gotta be something that works for you, right? Like I, I think there's like and maybe it's a bit of a joke in the entrepreneurial realm that if you're not doing this, if you don't wake up at four and meditate for an hour and journal for an hour and do this, then you're not going to be successful. And, and I don't believe that like at all. 
I can tell you my my consistency of morning routines is about 20% if i look at a longer horizon like i'm much better now because i just i just prefer it i just enjoy it i don't do it because i think it's going to make me more successful but i like getting up relatively early i like going to the gym i like reading before my day like i just like it i don't do it because i think it's going to make me the next jeff bezos um, and I think that's the thing, like you got to, you know, it really works. You got to find what works for you. But the thing I do really like about, and I really believe in, and I, and I know it's a privileged, privileged position to be in if you have access to gyms and you're healthy and, and okay to do it. But that crossover of discipline of physical activity into business discipline is so real. You know, I'm such a believer in like, you know, being disciplined with your own body, like translates so well over into being disciplined within your business. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, like not just business. Like, I think if somebody, if you can have the discipline to, to, to live a healthy lifestyle, go to the gym, like, it, it just transposes into every aspect of your life. I think my life fundamentally changed for the better when I stopped drinking alcohol and when I started going to the gym six days a week. That's when everything changed in my life. And I think, like, my cognitive ability has improved. My physical ability has improved. My love for life is improved. And my mindset has. And I just think that, yeah, discipline, like, it goes back to that point as a, like, a, it's a lame quote, but a great one that, like, consistency transforms average into great. And I think that's what it boils down to for me. It's like just the reps on reps consistently. Discipline for me is, it's like just set the tone for the day. It's like making your bed in the morning. You're right. I don't wake up at four in the clock, four o'clock in the morning to post on Instagram to show off to anybody. I do it because it fits my lifestyle. Like I don't post about that. I go to bed at 6.30 or seven o'clock at night. Like, but people would say I'm boring, but then at the same time, like that doesn't matter. Like I'd rather live my life how I live it because I enjoy it more than anything. And it's like, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, it just suits me. Like, you don't need to get up early, but it's like, all I'd say is, if you say you're gonna get up at a time, whether that be eight o'clock, four o'clock, 12 o'clock, just get up at that time. It's a discipline in doing what you say you're gonna do is what matters more the time you wake up in the morning. I love that. I don't, I don't know if it's like a Jordan Peterson quote or something, but it's like, never break a promise you make to yourself, right? Because you start to like, if you say you're going to, like you said, if you say you're going to get up at eight, but then you don't get up at nine, you've broken that promise. And it, and it's those little things that actually builds your own discipline, but also your own trust that if you say you're going to do something and you do it and you get consistent at doing the things that you tell yourself you're going to do, like the compounding benefit of that is so, so powerful. And I think that's like such a, such a good point. It's like, if, if 4am is like unrealistic or if running a marathon tomorrow is unrealistic like maybe don't set that goal set set things that are achievable because then you build that trust in your own capability to do the things you say you're going to do and it's you know it's, it, it, that's more important than the the time of what you get up or the the length of this or the whatever you do in the gym do you know what i mean it's like it's not breaking those promises to yourself yeah it's not about the time it's just my ability to be disciplined to my word i'm going to do this and then do it without any thought process whatsoever. And don't get me wrong, like it went seven, like 636, 5.35. Now I found exactly where I want to be at four o'clock. But it, yeah, not the time. It's just, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do it. Like that for me, my word is probably the most important thing. And not just to other people, but to myself. Because I think for a long period of time, like I let myself down in that respect. 
but I made a promise to myself that my word was going to be everything. And, you know, I'm going to hold myself to a higher, higher standard always. And I think that's for me, set the tone first thing in the day, do something difficult. And uh, it's, I love it. And I would implore anyone, not, I know we said about the time, but like I would implore anyone to go to bed earlier and wake up just for 30 days. Like get up at five o'clock every day. And I promise you, and then go and do something difficult. And I promise you life will improve. Do it. I agree. I agree. What's next for Humantra, Charlie? You're hiring people. Um, you're doing collabs with your favorite brands in the world. I know there's a ton that you're working on, but what's what's your number one and two priority uh, for the brands? So we just launched in the UK, which has been really cool. I think for me, it's been pretty special being here for 10 years. I've always wanted to take a brand back home. So that's been pretty cool the last like seven days. Um, and then hiring is obviously key focus, but again, just boils down to like, I know where we want to go and got a macro sort of vision over the next sort of three to five years. But ultimately for me, like, again, it sounds cliche, but just want to have fun. Like I goes back and do cool shit with cool people always. It's how can we level those opportunities? How can we find more of them? You know, how can we do cool shit? Like that's really in every aspect doesn't need to be business in life. Like I just want to surround myself with amazing people and do super cool things. And that can be employees, the people who come and work for the business. Could be brands we work with, businesses we work with, entrepreneurs we work with, people I speak to. It's just doing more cool shit with more cool people. Amazing. Dude, we're going to wrap it up on that. I think that's a great final message uh, to end on. And I just want to say um, a huge thank you for being on the pod. Um, big fan. Of, of you and what you're building, your approach, your philosophies to life and business and marketing. And I, I couldn't agree more with almost everything you say. And I, I totally agree doing cool shit with cool, cool people. It's it's why I do Bite Size. I just get the opportunity to, to like talk to really inspiring people building things. So it's an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Um, and obviously I'll link out to Humantra I've got my spicy mango on the way. I've already tried the products. And and again, so as someone who's super active, it's it's really beneficial to my lifestyle. So definitely check yeah, it out. I always say, like, it's not, if it's not a humantra, for any reason, like, just take electrolytes and it will improve you, your, your life. Like, that's my key message. Like, hydration is water and minerals and life will, will get better. Agreed. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, bro.